J-Cut, and this is the K-Cut. I'm Rachel, I write for Films Fatale, I love world cinema, lost film, silent movies, and the golden age. My name is Andreas, I am the creator and one of the main writers over at Films Fatale, and I love international cinema, art house cinema, and a little bit of everything in between. James here. I'm a content creator. I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul. I'm one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast. Uh, I've contributed to Films Fatale as a writer. And my interests lie in no-budget cinema and 70s cinema. And this week's topic was my pick. And I was actually inspired by a TikTok I saw that was talking about how, you know, we have like Netflix and other companies doing live-action remakes of anime. And they're not that great. And so they kind of pose the question, why don't we start making anime remakes of live action stuff? So it just kind of got me thinking like, oh, why don't we just do, not even just anime, just animated remakes in general, because we always seem to get the live action stuff, but no, you know, no one ever takes a chance to do like a animated at like remake of a classic movie or whatever. I think it's such a great idea because, and I feel like I'm in good company on this pod where so many other people might be a little bit more judgmental. There's such a discrepancy when it comes to animation that it's for families or children, that it can't be mature, when really I view animation as a means of enhancing what can't be achieved in live action. So like if you look at a lot of uh, fantastic, you said anime, a lot of fantastic anime works, achieving what you just can't do in front of a camera. When I think of uh, certain properties, they work best in animation, like um, The Prince of Egypt, I think, is one of the best tellings ever of the Bible, because they can convincingly do things that live-action film just couldn't. I think that's such a great example as well, because if I, you know, I, in my head I was like, what would a live-action Prince of Egypt look like? And I, I don't know, maybe a it very a boring... Show. Exactly, like a very boring uh, sword and sandals sort of property, but the actual animation, the actual animated film itself is deemed a hugely beloved classic of the 90s. Mm -hmm. So how's this episode going to be set up, James? So the first half of the episode, we're actually going to talk about good live-action remakes of an animated property. And then for the second half, we're going to talk about a movie that we think should be made into an... or live-action work that should be made into an animated work. So kind of got both sides. Fantastic. Do you want to kick things off with an example to show us how it's done? Alrighty. So I was trying to think of what I wanted to do, and I have to go with 2002's Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. Because, for one, the casting was absolutely perfect. It definitely was. Shaggy, like, oh my god. Yeah, Matthew Lillard as Shaggy, and then the fact that they got him to be the exclusive voice of Shaggy since Casey Kasem died... Like, that's made one of the main things he does these days is he just voices voices Shaggy. That right. is perfect. Also, like, you know, I don't, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. as Fred and Daphne, that was, I don't know how they pulled that, like, thought that that was the move, but it was just perfect. And, and then Linda Cardellini as um, Thelma was just, you know, Amazing. the icing on the cake. But yeah, I just I just think it's an overall fun movie. I mean, it's a bit corny looking back at it, but you know, just the fact that they took Scooby Doo, which is such a classic, and was able to turn it into a feature is just you know it, it shows the potential of what you can do with the work when you do it right. It was also written by James Gunn, who had just kind of broken to Hollywood after working under Lloyd Kaufman for a few years. 
Also, the original Scooby-Doo was a bit corny, so I think it fits the spirit of it. Oh, yeah. I, I think it was self-aware enough to where it, it definitely did the source material justice. Yeah, I, I have, like, mixed feelings about the film itself, but for the reasons that you stated, like, the casting, the tone, outside of maybe, like, the uh, the inappropriate jokes that were meant for adults, which, hey, I mean... <laughs> Every kid's movie has those now. <laughs> exactly, but the extent, like, Shaggy being obsessed with a girl named Mary Jane for obvious reasons. Um, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, the film itself is, like, whatever, but I... I there's a reason why it's aged well. It's not because people care about the plot. It's because they're like, yeah, Matthew Lillard as Shaggy is exactly who should have been Shaggy. Or um, all the reasons that you've, you've already stated. It's the fact that you, you kind of imagine more that's going to happen in subsequent adventures with these people. You feel like you've kind of grown up with them every time you watch the animated series or any variant of it you're like yeah i can imagine these live action characters in these scenarios this just happens to feel like an additional episode of sorts right it also felt grounded like they weren't trying to do anything more than what they needed to because all it needed to be was just it, it just needed to capture the essence of what made the original animated show entertaining the sequel did not quite pull this off though no also any uh, any uh, inclusion of Scrappy Doo is, is is just always a loss. I know he's like in this one, but like you know, that's just to bring up like that minor Scrappy Doo has not aged well in any capacity, especially in the live action realm. But it, it, just in general, I can't stand him. <laughs> well, the Scrappy is slang for a hated character for a reason. Actually, to bring it up, and you know, kind of spoiler alert here, it's fascinating that Scrappy is basically the villain. Because, uh, case in point, it's James Gunn and company are very aware that people didn't like Scrappy, so the fact that Scrappy actually sucks, I think is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel, what about you? I went with a similar line. Um, so, it's kind of cheating, because it's based on a children's book, but it was also an animated series for quite a while, and that is Madeline. I knew it. Initially, I was going to do SpongeBob SquarePants the musical, but it's only a stage show right now, um, but it's way better than it has any right to be, so everybody should go listen to the soundtrack right now. But since Madeline has already been adapted, I will pick that one. Now, granted, I haven't seen it since it first came out in 1998, where I was the perfect age, but I remember really enjoying it. Because it's not like a sort of dainty little story, there's no fairy tale to it, it's a spirited girl living a kind of okay life full of adventures in Paris, and Miss Clavel, who is not a nun by the way, even though the movie says she is, is played by the wonderful Frances McDormand, who is fabulous. So the story's kind of similar to a Pippi Longstocking or Anne of Green Gables, where this girl just does whatever she wants, and it's her world, and everyone else is living in it. It's... You know, it's not a brilliant movie, but it's funny, and the acting's great, and there's all these madcap adventures. They have all the points that all the Madeline fans love, like the appendectomy and the dog and the little diplomat's kid who's always running around with them. It's great. Have either of you seen it? I think I have. When I was younger, I did. I vaguely remembered, and I think that's like probably the first time I saw Frances McDormand as well, because when I was older... And watching stuff like Fargo, I was like, oh, it's What's-Her-Face from when I was a child. So I, yeah, I, I know I did. I just do not remember it at all. Yeah, uh, she did a really good job. You know, she's supposed to be stern, but not mean. And 
I just think it was the perfect film for the age it was meant for, the era it was made in, and the story it was trying to tell. And again, not a genius movie, but a lot of fun, and definitely a good movie to show your kids. I remember for sure, like, the uh, the books. I mean, I don't know what they were like in the States, but in Canada, they're they're huge. Oh, yeah. I think every little girl read at least one, and uh, the animated series was quite big. And I think that, was that even a Canadian series? I feel like it was Nelvana or something. Maybe. I mean, but I mean, it is, uh, it is French, so. Animated series. Uh, it is narrated by Christopher Plummer and a co-production between Canada and France. So there you go. Ah, okay. Well, that, that would make sense. Canadian animation was huge in the 90s. But anyway, yeah, so... Um, I didn't want to do Disney for this, and I kind of wanted to shy away from anime as well, so I thought Madeline was a nice substitute. It's it's so tough, because I feel like most live-action remakes of animated stuff pretty much are Disney or not-so-great anime-related things like that, uh, that awful Death Note remake on, um, on Netflix, for instance. But that's kind of where it's at, I would say. Yeah, but we'll have to re-record this episode when they make the SpongeBob SquarePants musical movie. Anyway, <laughs> Andres, what did you go with? Um, I mean, this was so tough because it's like trying to f- figure out something that's like actually good. So, like, um, I can think of a lot of things from when I was younger, like uh, the Inspector Gadget film, but I don't, I don't care for it per se. Um, or, you know, the Disney route, which I feel like they only get as good as they get. Like, the Cruella film is, like, the, one of the better ones, but I wouldn't say it's amazing. Um, I feel like for this type of question, you kind of have to thrive on nostalgia. And I feel like the uh, the second half of the episode is where this is going to get really interesting. Um, I kind of had to go with nostalgia. And I'm not saying that this is a great film, but it's one that I definitely grew up on, is the OG Ninja Turtles um, the live action oh. of the puppets and stuff. In the same way that I wouldn't say that I love the uh, the Scooby Doo film, uh, I, you know, I grew up with it. You know, uh, runner up was Casper, uh, <laughs> the Christina Ricci one. But again, it's not a great film, but like, it's rooted in nostalgia. But why I went with the Ninja Turtles? So I'm not in love with the film, and but in the same way that I feel like the Scooby Doo answer is a is a really good one, even though I'm not crazy about that film either. Um. When I was a kid and watching Saturday morning cartoons and, you know, I was obsessed with Ninja Turtles, like every other person my age, uh, you know, as a child back in the 90s, had my favorite turtle, Donatello. Uh, Maybe that's where my love of purple came from. I don't know. He's the purple one with the bow staff, right? I believe so. It's it's been a while, but I, I I've think never so. seen a single episode. Sorry. Uh, it's okay. Uh, you know, had toys, um, loved the video games like Turtles in Time. Uh, so when it comes to the OG films, excluding that third one, which is just awful, the second one gets a little bit of nostalgia points as well. Um, when I was a kid and I was like, you know, imagining what this would have looked like if it leapt off the small screen onto the big screen and these were real turtles, this, this was a perfect transition, you know, perfect transition when I was a child. Not now. I think the animatronics are a bit creepy. And I feel like it's not like my favorite thing on earth, but like purely with nostalgia goggles and re- reminding myself of what it's like to be as, uh, you know, a child again. That was one of the best transitions from animated to live action. Like it just felt like that TV series that I, you know, woke up early for. That was perfect. It, it just felt like, 
it, you know, it just felt it was a perfect transition. Well, the thing I really enjoy about it, specifically the puppets of the movie, was the Jim Henson Company actually did that, and I believe right. that was the last product Jim Henson himself was involved with before he passed. That's amazing. Or at least one of them. Because, yeah, because I think he was alive. Because that movie, the first Ninja Turtles came out in 1990, so they would have done it probably the year before. And he passed in the mid-1990s. So, yeah, I think that was, like, one of the very last things he did. And then um, I think they did two also, but I don't think they did three. And three really definitely is not good. (laughs) The animatronics in three are awful, so there's no way in hell they could be Jim Hansen related. Yeah, I actually saw a video... um, I think it was a TikTok. Someone explaining one of the things that made the first Ninja Turtles movie do pretty well was because they still kept the seriousness in the overall story. And then the humor was just kind of to help balance it out. Whereas the second one got a little, a little bit more corny and more focused on humor. But the first one, it was also, um, it's also often noted for being, uh, a very successful independent feature because I think it wasn't a major studio who did it and it was made for a budget of, I think it was only made for like $1 million or something like that. Really? Was that it? Okay, no, 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 it wasn't $1 million. It's $13.5 million, but it made $202 million at the box office. Wow. I, I had no idea that uh, Ninja Turtles was an indie property, apparently. Yeah, I don't think it was a major company who did it. Yeah, it was distributed by New Line, but yeah, I've never heard of any of these other production companies on it. Well, well, um, yeah, I guess that's it for for that. What about the second half of the episode? Uh, remind us what we're doing again, James. Ah, yes, we're going to take a, a live-action movie that we think should be an animated work. Uh, but I, I believe uh, there's no, like, limitations, so it doesn't have to be, like, family-based, as we were discussing. Like, it can fully be, Oh, it can be, be like, anything. Okay, amazing. What did you go with? So I was racking my brain trying to figure out like what what could be because there's so many different options and as we were recording i was still trying to figure out what i wanted to do but honestly i want to see an anime version of parasite anime or animated anime oh that would be cool that sounds really awesome well go into go into some details what would that look like i think when you see I think the tone of I think the tone of it works for an anime if you want to do something that's more of like a thriller or like even maybe borderline horror anime. Just the way they do the art styles in in that kind of genre, I think it would really help bring out even more of the kind of darkness that kind of looms cuz it's like, you know, it'd be lighthearted in the first half and kind of like, oh, you know, where it's kind of morphing into the, you know, kind of more dramatic stuff, but I think the second half, when you get the kind of reveal, I think they could kind of take that in. I don't know how to describe it. I, I think they can probably more accentuate the tone of the second half, maybe even push it a little bit further than the live action one did. Wow, I mean that does sound very interesting. I don't. I, I also. I also think like maybe like the last couple scenes would work better as anime. Especially with how violent it gets. Oh, like maybe like some like dramatic close-ups and cutaways. Yeah, but like like just everything that happens in it's like I don't know. Just for some reason, I look at that. I'm like, yeah, I could totally see that. Then again, I think anybody anything could look good as anime. That could be really cool. I could also see it as a graphic novel really easily. Yeah, abso- absolutely. 
Especially uh, the black and white version that Bong Joon-ho released. Can you imagine that in like manga form or like graphic novel oh, form? Yeah. Like uh, Charles Burns, I think, is the author of Black Hole, like in that sort of vein. Well, that would be crazy. Yeah, I also think um, because, you know, now that I'm not a teenager anymore, it's like I'm over in action anime. So it's like I like more dramatic stuff. And I think, you know, there's a lot of cool like dramatic anime out there. And I think we need to kind of like do more of that because all of it is like you know it, it gets riddled with all the shonen stuff like you know obviously dragon ball is a big property or like naruto one piece my hero and, and it's also this catered to like teenage boys but you know there's some really great dramatic stuff that doesn't involve any like unrealistic action you know i think it'd be fun to take a drama and just turn it into something like that actually does sound like it would work really well uh rachel what about you uh, what did you end up going with Okay, well, you guys may have heard my theory on this before. Okay. I'm going to fix the movie Cats. Oh, okay. So you're going to... Okay, I know exactly where you're going with this, but please do explain. Okay, because we can all agree that Cats, the movie that came out two or three years ago, did not work. And I've always... Long before Cats was ever made into an actual movie, I always thought that it could only work one of two ways. Cats is a stage show. It has actually pretty good music. The staging is fun, and you have the magic of these dancers who are performing like cats. So it is actually pretty cool to see on stage. But, uh, so I think you could either do it as a film stage production, kind of like what Disney Plus did with Hamilton, or you could do a full-on animated version with all kinds of cool designs, wacky backgrounds, um... And, you know, if you can imagine the animation of all these different cats with their different personalities and keep the music, that really is quite good. And so I think the animated version of Cats, fully animated, not the abomination we got a couple of years ago, would be really fun. I think that's really one of only two ways you could faithfully adapt that musical. Yeah, this whole thing where uh, Tom Hooper was, like, insistent on having this live-action CGI abomination with... Um yeah, people cat beings is just crazy. Like that that should have never been a thing. Can um, we confiscate his Oscar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I just think there'd be a lot of room to experiment and Cats was pretty experimental as a musical. And you could have some really distinguished actor be the voice of sort of T.S. Eliot as a narrator figure. It would be really cool. That does sound very interesting. So I have two ideas for this since we're talking about this. So I, I've, I haven't seen the the musical in full. I've only seen snippets. But one, Cats would actually make a really good anime. Or yes. how about this? Shoot the stage show, like, like shoot it as a Broadway production, but have Richard Linklater direct it and have him rotoscope it yes. for the animation. Can we have Andy Serkis play all the Cats? <laughs> something i thought of which is like a little bit bolder and not as theatrical i know it's like pretty it's pretty hip to like follow animals but like as animals and not making them anthropomorphic or anything like that um so i know there's like this video game that uh a colleague of mine brought up called stray where you actually play a cat that's a stray why not something like that where it's like bold? And that's what I was hoping for with like the Lion King, for instance, like the live action ones. Just maybe instead of it being a musical, it's like the score of, you know, following this wildlife that doesn't necessarily talk. But to your instance, because I don't want to like dismantle your idea, if it's like cat cats, 
and the music accompanies them. You know what I'm saying? Like, it wouldn't that be so much more heartfelt? Yeah, but I can't picture some random tabby cat having Betty Buckley's soprano. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough. I feel like we need more uh, animation adaptations of musicals now that now that we're on this conversation. Yeah, that's true. Animated version of Cannibal the Musical. Oh my god. Well, I mean, Trey and Matt could do it. Well, I mean, they basically did do it. They did it with the South Park movie. Mm-hmm. Um, on the uh, on the topic of uh, of adult animation. I've got a bit of a weird one, but I was really trying to think of this, and I don't know why this kind of just resonated in my mind. Should Pixar ever opt to have, like, completely mature animation, but, like, the same sort of, like, heart and movement and, like, sadness and emotion, if Pixar adapted The Wrestler... I don't know what it is. Maybe because I was thinking of 2008 films. So like The Wrestler and Wally, something about those two films kind of give me the same sort of feelings where it's like seeing like lost souls kind of having to fend for themselves and struggle in society. I don't know. There's just something. I don't know what it is, but like The Wrestler. So what I'm thinking is like a CGI animated thing. It's as visceral as it is, but there's just something extra that comes out of I don't know, maybe the uh, the extra poetry you can give it. So Aronofsky's film really excels because it's like minimalist, stripped back, no frills. But what would it look like if you had that same sort of thing, but not in like a super blockbustery, crazy film, but in animated form? That's kind of where I'm going at with, with it, where it's like it's the same minimalism, but like with extra little flourishes so it doesn't get too overproduced. I like that idea. That makes sense. In a weird way, right? The Wrestler, you know what? That would make a good anime as well. I gotta say, <laughs> I would like to see Pixar adapt more adult-oriented stories. I think their films are accessible to adults, and of course their whole brand isn't appealing to the whole family, but it would be neat to see something that was just for us from time to time. Yeah, that'd be pretty interesting. Especially because I feel like, and this is perhaps a hot dick or people might be in agreement, um... Pixar is definitely catering strictly to children more than ever. I feel like anyway, but I mean, that's, that's kind of me. Their movies are getting a bit more kid-ish. I'd say, um, oh, I'm trying to think of, uh, what was, why am I, why am I blanking on this? What won Best Animated last year? Encanto? Yes. Before that, year before. Oh. Soul. Soul, yes. Soul, Soul's a good example of something that was definitely a more adult-oriented. Oh, of course. I think if they did something, but if, if Pixar did The Wrestler, that'd be wild. But uh, no, I just thought of something perfect for The Wrestler. If Satoshi Kon was still alive, he should do The Wrestler because Darren Aronofsky <laughs> is, yes. is influenced by him. So imagine one of his influences taking his own work. Which, uh, for those who don't know, um, Aronofsky is a massive fan of his. Of Satoshi Kon's, um, to the point that he actually, I think, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, purchased the rights to Perfect Blue, which is arguably the greatest anime film ever made, if not certainly up there, to the point that um, that shot of Jennifer Connelly screaming in the bathtub and wrecking for a dream comes from Perfect Blue, and one of my favorite films of the 2010s, Black Swan, which I love through and through, and I say this with a lot of heart because I adore that film, 
owes so much to Perfect Blue that it's not even funny. <laughs> I don't know if he actually did buy it. Because no one can figure okay. out if he actually really did. I mean, who knows? Okay, but animated Black Swan would be amazing, right? It exists. It's Perfect Blue. <laughs> That's true. But you know what I mean. <laughs> but like, but like uh, that, his version, that would, that, that'd be interesting animated. Yeah, like if it's like strictly Black Swan in animated form. Yeah, I mean, it would basically be what Magnificent Seven is. So, um, you know, um, Kurosawa is making his films based on, uh, you know, American Westerns, but in samurai form makes seven samurai and then it gets turned back into a western so you know what i mean hey it's possible imagine a pixar robocop <laughs> clearly the possibilities of this topic are endless this episode could be 10 hours long it can and uh, <laughs> you do a whole series on it <laughs> so so it won't be uh rachel where can our listeners find us we could do a part two for sure so we're on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under the K-Cut, and our cinematic smorgasbords for this month are After Hours, Ratatouille, and The Good Times Kid, and our collective is Once in the City. And, um, yeah. Brilliant. Now it's our opportunity to grant our listeners at home a random recommendation. It could be animated. It could be anything, because it's random, but it's however we feel. Um... Who wants to go first? I will. Um, so I chose this because it's animated, because it's one of my favorite movies, and I brought it up many times, and because it's very relevant to what's going on this week. There is a lot of turmoil going on in the country of Iran over particularly women's rights, and um, so I think the film Persepolis really beautifully illustrates this and goes into the history. So if you haven't seen Persepolis, please go see it and... Um, it, it really gives you good context on what's happening today, even though it's only one person's story. Persepolis is actually a fantastic film. I couldn't agree more. Uh, James, what about you? So I'm going to go with uh, the most recent Richard Linklater movie, Apollo 10 and a half, a space age childhood. Cool. It's because it's a good example of the thing he does with animation. You know, he does the rotoscope thing, but also like, if you're not into Richard Linklater, it might be a bore, but he is the master of nostalgia. Absolutely. Especially with the j- just all the stories he tells from a time that he grew up. Just, just the fact that he just knows it so well that it's just like every every detail is just perfect. It's also just a really interesting kind of way. Uh, you know, it's a it's a fictional story of a kid who uh, you know he does the Apollo ten mission before, or was it Apollo eleven? I think it was Apollo. Yeah, it was Apollo 11, but he does it because they made the ship too small, so they needed a kid. And then uh, it's also intercut with him, you know, his family, you know, watching it and, you know, just kind of just living life around that time. But, you know, the, the big thing is like watching the Apollo 11 event on television. And it's like, you know, the fact that he he did this mission already, but can't tell anybody and nobody knows it. It's, uh, it's, it's a fun story. And it's also a fun where it's like, you know, it doesn't, it's a good example of, um, of a movie where a a kid is the protagonist or the primary character and they don't treat him like a child. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely have to check that one out. Cause I do love waking life and I feel like scanner darkly is actually pretty good. So might as well make it a, a trifecta. Why not? So, uh, for, uh, I guess my final recommendation, um, I love this topic of taking real issues that could have been done with live action, but they were made into the animated instead. Because Persepolis is very autobiographical, 
you know, you just said um, all that, ne- that was needed to be said about Apollo 10 and a half. I'm going to go with Waltz with Bashir. It's an animated documentary by Ari Fullman that takes it to account the recollections post-war time. It is uh, not for children by, by any stretch, but as we've discussed here, a lot of animated, a lot of animated films aren't meant for children. So this uh, takes it to account uh, veterans that have survived the 1982 invasion of Lebanon. So um, basically a lot of the, the memories and a lot of the, uh, the trauma is illustrated, and obviously animation is used to hide you know people who may want to remain anonymous or um you know not be traceable so it's a very vulnerable but surreal and damning account of yeah wartime and trauma and devastation it's unlike most films i've ever seen so we all picked 20th century history (laughs) <laughs> yes we did um it's it's quite similar to what flea pulled off last year so uh, if you're into flea i would definitely say walter's bashir is worth a watch in fact it, it might actually be better which is saying a lot so um otherwise that's it for the k-cut uh thank you to my animated co-hosts we're going to go back into reality now we are now going into the l cut l for live action live action yes <laughs> <laughs>